Hello, and welcome back to Talking Talmud. I'm Ann Gordon, here with my friend and chavruta, Yerdena Azband, our daf of the day, Masachet Kitubot, daf Yudbet, page 12. It's a Mishnah-filled daf. Well, there's three of them anyway. And um, we're going to go through them. We're going to have a tag team here. We have some important concepts that come up um, and some important details, as you'll hear. Ha'ochel etzel chamav biyuda. So this is a very short one line of a Mishnah that has a pretty stark statement. It says that a man who eats at, in the home of his father-in-law in Yehuda, all right, and there's discussion here, Dana, I think you talked about it, but there's a, you know, there's discussion in the Gemara about differences of the different locations, how people had different practices in Yehuda and in the Galil and, you know, different places places. In this particular passage, the Gemara explains, it's really the difference between Yehuda and the Galil, um, that if it's after betrothal and there's no witnesses to make it clear that he was not alone with the betrothed woman, then he can, then going forward, um, if he had any complaint about her quote-unquote virginity, right, meaning if he wants to make a claim against her to say that she wasn't a virgin, he no longer can, because in Yehuda, without witnesses to say that they were not alone together in seclusion, then they might have been in seclusion. And if they're in seclusion, then um, then the concern is that they've slept together. And then what's he talking about? I Meaning he doesn't get to make that kind of claim. So when the Gemara then goes on to say, well, this is specific to Yehuda, but in the Galil, it would have been different. That It's about the practice of whether there's any seclusion, whether there's any thought of seclusion, prior to the chuppah, right? Which in Yehuda, apparently there was. And in the Galil, they didn't do that. Yeah, the only thing I would say, Anne, is that it's interesting that the discussion about this actually is on the previous step before we actually get to the Mishnah. But we're used to this kind of stuff in the Gemara. Uh, I'm gonna move but on. also on this stuff, also on this stuff, it, it goes through it, meaning I'm not reading it all inside in the interest of time and the fact that we, you did already talk about it. But it does clarify what the practice is in the Galil, what the Correct, practice is in the Correct, but it's like a disjointed Gemara. Like, in other words, there's a bunch of information on one daf, and then the rest of it fills in here. That's all I'm pointing out. Fair. Um, I'm going to move on to the next Mishnah. So this is a very interesting Mishnah that I think gets into also more detail about certain customs around the ketubah and marriage itself, which it says that for a widow of a Israelite woman or a Kohen, right, who's a daughter of Kohanim, that ketubah is always going to be 100 manah. But a group of uh, a baiting of priests would actually have a ketubah of 400, uh, uh, 400 dinars. So really that's double the price of a regular ketubah for a, um, for let's say a Yisrael betula. Um, the Chachamim didn't, you know, didn't sort of reprimand them for making that price so high. Um, and then the Gemara basically gets into a discussion here, um, you know, first asking the question, you know, why, uh, first quoting a, a Brisa that basically says that maybe the Ketubah was actually 200, which seems to contradict this actual Mishnah. And, um, uh, and they have an interesting answer to that. So I'll just read this part of the Gemara quickly. Tana ba'al manako anim ketubah tamatayim 
right? So they have a bracelet that says actually the widow of of a, a Cohen widow gets two hundred dinars for Ketuba, Ba'anantan, right? But didn't we just learn in our previous this mission we just read a Chadalmana Yisrael Ba'chadalmana Kohenim Ketuba Tanmana? It's a hundred. So how you know what's how do we sell this contradiction? I'm a Ravashi. Ravashi taught Shtei Takanot Abu. There were really two Takanot. Initially, it was 400 for the virgin daughter of a priest and 100 for the widow. Once the members of the court basically saw that the priests were being mezazel, they were demeaning the widows, then they made it that it had to be a contract for 200. So what part of what we're seeing is, is that based on how the contract was constructed, if the Ketubah was worth more money, sort of those women were treated a little bit better. And it makes sense because if you entered into marriage and you only had to pay 100 if you dissolved the marriage, it's sort of much easier to divorce that person. But if you enter into a marriage and it's 400 zoos, you have to think a little bit more about wanting to enter into a divorce. Right? Once they saw that grooms were even were dissonance from them at all, right? They said to Amri, right? So what they said was instead of marrying a widow who's a daughter of a priest and paying this marriage contract of two hundred, better, you know, then they would say, Okay, I could really just go ahead and marry a Bitula Yisrael for the same price. And so therefore the widows from these Kohen families wouldn't get married at all. And so they went back and did it to the original status where it went back to a hundred. So again, what I think we see here is, is that really the purpose of the ketubah is to protect the woman. Sometimes how they needed to be protected actually changed according to different sort of like societal norms or notions. And we see this being worked out um, in this part of the Gemara. Um, I think I'm not going to read the rest of the Gemara. It's actually a very fascinating Gemara. The rest of the Gemara talks about sort of this special court, this baiting of the of the Kohanim that would collect the money for the 400 dinars of a virgin, um, of a virgin uh, back Kohen. And part of what we see here in the Gemara is, you know, there was a little bit of, let's say, sort of this sense that like the Kohanim treated themselves differently. They thought of themselves a little bit as a higher status uh, than other Jews. And and I think this is one of the interesting Gemaras where we sort of see this. Most of the times just treated as, yeah, some people are Kohanim, some people are Levi, some pe- people are Yisrael. But when it comes to the Ketubah, sort of the status of marrying the Betula Kohen, we see it express itself in the special baiting of the Kohanim and also in the type of Ketubah that she has. And that's really what the rest of the Gemara discusses here. Okay, so if the first Mishnah, in addition to t- touching on the topic that it has, also talks about, let's say, different practices in different locations, and if this Mishnah, your Mishnah, your Dana, talks also about uh, different issues, we're beginning to talk about the court and also hear the Kohanim, the third Mishnah of the Daf really enters into a whole discussion of what of, of how the court would assess different people's testimony. So on the one hand, it really, and we'll see, is really about ketubot topics. And on the other hand, as we've discussed, it's jumping far afield to other areas of halacha and then how are they applied in this case. 
So we have a case of a person, a man who marries a woman and who's supposed to be a virgin, meaning that is the context. And he finds that her hymen is not intact. He omerit erastani ne'anasti. She says, from the time since you betrothed me, since we were betrothed, I was raped. So this is a little bit of a euphemistic phrase. It says, uh, the field was inundated. It was flooded, right? Meaning, meaning that the implication is that it's, um, you know, what a shame for the husband to be here because she was raped after the betrothal. So he says, no, no, you were raped before the betrothal. And that makes this whole transaction, meaning this whole betrothal, is what's called a mekach ta'ut, a mistaken transaction, meaning false pretenses. But Rabban Gamil and Rabbi Elazar say, no, we believe the woman here. And then the Gemara is going to get into exactly why. So Rabbi Yeshua says, well, we can't really um, rely on her own statement about herself, but rather we the the presumption is that she, that she is one who has you know at the time before she was betrothed she, the presumption is that she has indeed already had intercourse i don't quite know yet why this is right the mission doesn't explain why but the implication is that she has misled him according to Yeshua, until she comes to support herself she has to bring, bring some kind of proof meaning rabbi gamliel rabbi lezer say she is believed and Rabbi Yoshua says, well, if she can back herself up, we're going to believe her. But other than that, we're, we're not going to. So why do I say this is about, you know, the terms of, of testimony and so on? Because, the whole, first of all, we're talking about a person who's giving testimony about themselves, about herself. So there's all kinds of question of, you know, self-incrimination here. And also, we're going to see that the Gemara talks about, first, we're going to read a little bit more, but um, this question of, once she says something about herself that is against herself, right? Meaning she's coming forward to say she was raped. She could have said, and the Gemara will tell us this, she could have said she's a Mukat 8. She could have said all kinds of things happened that for which the hymen would have disappeared or ruptured or however we're going to describe it in such a way that would not put her at this disadvantage of having been raped. So the moment she claims that she was put at a disadvantage, then the question is, well, why then didn't she say something? If she were lying, why wouldn't she have said something less stringent against herself? It must then be that she is telling the truth. And we call that amigo, the rationale being migo in Aramaic means mitoch, from the factor, from the midst of the, of the claim. But I want to read a little bit inside here to see exactly why these rabbis have this, this disagreement. So the Gemara says, Itamar, from the top. So this is, the Gemara dives right in to a case of, we'll call it, meaning it's a business dealing. We're no longer talking, in this case, in this passage, we're not talking about Ketubot issues. We're not talking about virginity. We're talking about a, a business deal where the guy said, one person says, 
you know, I have, <coughs> excuse me, 100 dinar of my possession, or of my ownership are in your hands or in your possession. And the other guy says, I don't know what you're talking about. Rav Yehuda, Rav Huna, Omer, Amre, Chayav, Rav Nachman, Rav Yochanan, Amre, Pator. So the question is, does he have to pay or does he not have to pay? The fact that when he says, I don't know, he's not saying that's not true. He's not denying it. So according to Rav Yehuda and Rav Huna, he, they say he have to pay. He didn't, he didn't come out strictly against it. And Rav Nachman and Rav Yochanan say he's exempt from payment. Why? And again, here's a very important um, halachic concept when it comes to business dealings and testimony and so on, you know, claims against from one person against another. Bari v'shema. A bari is a clear-cut case. Uh, shema is an uncertain case, meaning literally bari means clear, and shema means like, Lest, lest there be other details here, I guess. Bari Adif, the position is that the certain claim is going to take precedence, it's going to prevail. So, Rav Nachman, Rabbi Yochanan, Rabbi Poter, Mari. So, if Bari Vishama Bari Adif explains why he would have to pay, then in the second case, <coughs> I'm sorry, in the second opinion that says it, they're exempt, their exemption is relies on the principle that the property. Um, is presumed to be in the possession of its owner. The fact that the owner comes forward and says, you have my stuff, is <coughs> um, is less authoritative than the presumption that it's with it, that he's got his own stuff to begin with. Um, okay. The Gemara goes on here, and I want to, I'm going to jump down, meaning there's a lot here. And as I say, these, these are chock full concepts um, and the application is very widespread but I want to just read this business of the Migo inside um, okay so it says <clears throat> I'm jumping I don't know <coughs> excuse me frog in my throat maybe Rav Yehuda and Rav Huna they're the people who said in the case that the person is obligated to pay because he didn't fully deny the claim and we've got a case of Bari Vishema and Bari, it's a clear-cut claim, so that's what's going to win. Maybe they agree with Rabbi Gamliel. Rav Nachman, Rabbi Yochanan, Amri Rabbi Yeshua. Maybe they agree with Rabbi Yeshua, the, Rabbi Yeshua, the one who says, you don't just, you can't just collect based on the claim. Meaning Rabbi Yeshua, again, is the one who says the woman in our Mishnah has to bring proof of her claim that she was raped. So the Gemara says, no. Because Rav Nachman also could say that he ruled according to Rabban Gamliel. Because Rabban Gamliel doesn't really say much, right? In the case of the of the bride and the groom, right? He just the rationale is migo. There is a migo. What's the migo? Again, this claim, this position that the woman could have said something. Better about herself. Uh, so she, she could have said something better about herself, namely that her hymen is not intact because of she was horseback riding or whatever it was, right? The fact that she says she's raped has to be given credibility because otherwise, why would she say this? Meaning she has another way out. She could have told a different story. So the fact that she tells the worst thing about herself, the rationale is believed. But in this case, this case meaning the business case, the the 
hundred dinar. About hacha, my migo eco. What migo is there? What what rationale is there to say that he's he's taking his own claim uh, stronger? That he's making a stronger claim to give it greater credibility. Um, I want to pause here because I, we really can, um, you know, we could spend a good amount of time here, and we will go fo- going forward in these concepts. But I want to establish that as principles, bari v'shema bari adif, that if there's a I don't want to say a sketchy claim versus a clear-cut claim. The clear-cut claim is considered, again, without other mitigating details, right, um, to be preferred in terms of legal rationale. And this MIGO, that this question of to what extent would a person self-incriminate, um, the degree, the, the assumption is that someone would not go further than they have to. Um, and we'll see this show up elsewhere. Right. And I think it's Chazal acknowledging like a woman to claim that she was raped is not an easy thing for her to do. And women don't make that up. I mean, we, it's it's pretty progressive if you think about it, like, you know, particularly in this circumstance, she could say anything else. So for a woman to put herself out that way, you know, and really say this is what happened to me when she recognizes it could affect her marriage and many other things. Um, I think Chazal really respects that and says, this isn't something to take lightly. This isn't something that a woman just says just to say it. I'm I'm noting the fact that she only says it after he levies the accusation, right? Meaning this is not best friends getting married, right? I think, right? I would hope that there are circumstances where if God forbid uh, a couple is getting married and something like rape has befallen the woman after a status of betrothal, that she would come forward and say to her beloved betrothed, listen, something terrible has just happened, right? Like there's a whole other piece to that conversation that isn't relevant here in the case. I don't know that it wouldn't have been relevant in a real li- in a real live couple, but but maybe not, right? Because maybe it's a transactional, you know, transactional betrothal and and they don't have the personal level of intimacy that we might think, you know, a marriage would today. Well, that's our DAP discussion for the day. Rank us, review us, and all major podcasts. Thank you to Reverend Michelle Farber for hosting us on the Hadron website. Let us know what you thought about this DAP on our Talking Talmud Facebook page. And until tomorrow, go and learn.